0: Welcome to the Multiply Your Success podcast, where each week we help growth-minded entrepreneurs and franchise leaders take the next step in their expansion journey. I'm your host, Tom DuFour, CEO of Big Sky Franchise Team. And as we open, I want to talk about the ancient samurai. And I'm sure you're familiar with this group of people, but did you know that they had a comprehensive leadership code? And our guest today is Don Schminka, who is the author of the best selling book, The Code of Executive, which shares the 47 ancient samurai principles and how they apply to the 21st century. And we talk through some of those on our episode today. Now, Don has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and US Today, and he is an award winning speaker, researcher, and he's the founder of the Saga Leadership Institute. In addition, he's delivered over 1,700 speeches, predominantly to CEOs and executives all over the world, teaching on these principles and ideas. You're going to love my interview with Don, so let's go ahead and jump right into it.
1: I'm Don Schmenka. I founded some research institutes, but mainly I'm an author and a researcher, and I people have called me an explorer because I do a lot of expeditions, but, but generally I'm a teacher. I like to learn and teach.
0: Wonderful. Well, my understanding here is part of your research and some of the things you've done have been published in a couple of your books. And I'd love to just talk about initially the high altitude leadership first and some of the concepts out of that, because I found it fascinating.
1: That was an interesting project. I was climbing on one of these expeditions with Chris Warner. He's probably one of the top rescue climbers in the world. You may have seen him on CNN whenever there's like an Everest disaster or something, I don't know, Chris, but there was a an expedition, and we were sponsoring some stuff at Johns Hopkins through this thing. And long story short, we were climbing the highest active volcano in the world, which is in South America. And it was a pretty brutal climb. Got to about twenty thousand feet, and I learned a lot from not only the people in the in the region, which is why I was there to explore, but also Chris. And I met Chris, and he was going to leave for an NBC special. Because they wanted to film him on his third attempt at K2, which is the mountain of death, highest mountain in the world. So what was interesting about that is NBC couldn't find a cameraman because they were all busy. (laughs) So Chris Chris comes over to my house because I said, you know, let's do a book, right? And we can write it live. So it was probably one of the first, you know, books in mountaineering were written live for leadership, essentially. And so that's where the concept came from. You know, here he is in the Death Mountain for his third attempt and, you know, linking via satellite to me. And I'm, I'm back in my living room having a glass of wine. But it was a risk I was willing to take. And it was fascinating because I we wanted to study humans in death zone environments. Because my whole thing is biological leadership. I'm not into trendy leadership theories. I'm into things that drive us as a species for thousands of years. So when we're able to take a company like 10 times its size, you know, within a few years, it's usually triggering some of these methods that we've learned and we're still learning a lot. But this gave us a chance to see how these human leadership occur when you're in a death zone, which is above 8000 meters. It's it's a zone where you don't want to hang out too long because you'll die because the oxygen is just too low. And there was interesting ways of looking at this. But, you know, we saw aspects of selfishness coming into play. We saw aspects that were actually putting other people's lives at risk we saw leadership as really a set of dangers. And what we did is we ended up going through and documenting some of these dangers. And I think it's it's interesting because we could got to apply a lot of the work we had done earlier with some of the samurai research, just to see it integrate. So it was a really great book. I loved uh, working with Chris. He had some epic stories i mean the book reads like a novel because these were he was documenting what was actually occurring at the time so i had a lot of fun with this book and i think a lot of people you know have enjoyed it so that's where it all came from
0: really really exciting well and you mentioned this biological leadership i'd love for you to expand on that talk a little bit about what that means to you and what led you to be interested in this
1: i left mit and i had done some biomedical research there so i started getting into a study of humans as a physical level, but I was at Johns Hopkins. I ended up doing my graduate work there and then teaching there. And I, I got, started getting attached to the executive MBA program, and I just ran into a lot of frustrated executives who were complaining about management theory. You know, there was a a new flavor of the month theory coming out, a new best selling book, and then, and yet, and yet when they try to implement the stuff, sales didn't grow. Performance didn't grow. I mean, strategy was still flawed or or faltering. So all this was going on and I couldn't figure out what what was happening, but it was fascinating because I wanted to look at what could be causing the high failure rates and could it be biological? So I started interacting with some really brilliant people, anthropologists, archeologists, evolutionary psychologists, geneticists, people like that, and began to see some really amazing things. So I began teaching this, I kind of got a kickstart from Oxford University because they gave me access to this ancient manuscript on Samurai, and that uh, was a management training program for Samurai. And so I, I republished that and went into like a dozen languages, and next thing I know I'm on CNN, and things just start taking off. But what was fascinating is a lot of what they were doing were... Now, defensible and understandable from a medical point of view, from a biological point of view, an evolutionary point of view. So, by using these techniques, we were able to test and actually reverse the high failure rate of management theory. And so, that's become a passion for me. So, most of my work on these expeditions is to look at remote regions, find out how humans are leading, how much of these patterns could be genetic. And how can we use this to drive higher performance in companies? So I train about 700 CEOs a year in this. I probably, they told me I've trained maybe 30,000 CEOs by now over the past 25 years. And that's a lot of CEOs, but I, I, I learned from them too, because as we're bringing out this research, I have these audiences of, Cynical CEOs who've seen every speaker in the world, read every freaking book in the world, right? So it's the best audience, the best audience. They keep calling me back. So I must be doing something right. It helped me hone and and test and validate. So it's been a, a really fun research journey over the past few decades with CEOs on in multiple industries.
0: It sounds like it. Well, and One of the things, the code of the executive book that you were referring to with the 47 ancient samurai principles, just, I'd love for you to just share a few for the audience here. They can get the rest in the book. We'll make sure we link that in the show notes so they can get a copy of your book there. But I'd love for you to talk about a few of these principles there.
1: It was kind of shocking when I first got the manuscript permission to republish from uh, Oxford. I was, uh, the first chapter's on death, right? And I was like, this isn't going to go well as a training program. And, and yet, as I got through it, I began to realize that we're really not talking about the physical death, the suicides that they were famous for in their rituals. It was really around death of the ego, you know, that they called the evil spirit. So this let me look at, you know, the purpose of ego, why it was there and, and what was the elements of like, how's that sabotaging companies? So it was neat being able to take this ancient work and see how they fixed it. And then apply it to executive teams and see it work again. So it was fascinating. So death was really more around detaching from those things that stop us from achieving. I find these, these dimensions fascinating because they're, they are uh, never existing really at a level we want them to be in executive teams. And that is bravery and honor. Now, unless you're in a military operation, generally you do not see any corporate training programs for bravery and honor. And yet by applying this, we were able to increase team speed and decisiveness by 50 to 100%. It was it was just amazing how it, this could still apply. So the Samurai, it was just great taking an ancient training program and validating it with modern medical science and then applying it and seeing it work. So that's those were a few of the ideas that came out of that. And then it led us into study the study of Vikings and to explain why mission statements don't work, how to change all that. But anyway, I can out I a can lawn for another couple of hours just on this stuff.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's really, really fascinating. And you know, one of the things, just talking about these insights you gained through the study of ancient samurai principles, and you were kind of alluding to this just a moment ago about how it helps enhance people's careers, their lives, and what you've seen in that. I find that a lot of
1: the bravery, especially if you're an entrepreneur, right? And apparently, I think you work with a lot of entrepreneurs, I presume. There's a a level of risk that exists. And those that do it well are the ones that are familiar or comfortable with taking risk. So there's a level of bravery that exists there. And what entrepreneurs sometimes get frustrated with is getting people around them that can play into that, that game, into that world because people like to be safe but the problem is entrepreneurship is not safe you know it's risk you're 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 creating new things new ideas new innovations and trying to to scale that so i love what we were finding out is that when you can commit suicide to those things that are holding you back in other words what in your life has to die for you to move to the next level was a really powerful principle and when we run CEOs and executive teams through this, it's amazing what comes out of that. Because a lot of what stops us from being greater as, as leaders or as business owners is we we get stuck, we get attached to things that don't allow us the freedom to to take the risks, to move forward with you know more velocity and more focus.
0: And as they start to focus on this, you see that change start to occur. And one thing as I'm thinking about it is, how do you see that change once these leaders start seeing the change in themselves, how do you see this transfer to their staff, to the people they're leading? Well, what
1: happens is once people get in touch with like what we call the, the gap, You know, it's like, you know, here's their current behavior, but here's the behavior we wanna see in ourselves. And then we start uncovering what are the beliefs driving those two dimensions. And then the final step is what do we have to do to, to commit suicide to those old beliefs to give birth to the new ones? And then there's a lot of frameworks throughout history that have been used around that, like codes of honor, just different elements. And what what they see in their staff is decisiveness be picks up as an example. I would like for instance, many companies we've worked with will hear anecdotal comments like, "Wow, it took us ten minutes to make that decision, before it would have taken us three months." And they literally just declare like we are faster, you know, because we can make decisions like now because the, the egos out of the way. We are there's a higher cause driving our purpose, and we like that because we, you know, they self measure. You know, we're we're not getting in the way of them measuring whatever they want, but we try to find the most critical measurements and have them monitor those themselves. And yeah, it's fun to see that play out. And you need that today because we probably always needed speed, but now more than ever, I think, because those that can, that are faster, the companies that are faster can adapt because we have another one of these myths. I do a lot of myth busting and, you know, we think we have to have a business plan and execute the plan. And, you know, when I was working with Black Hawk Down, Matt Eversman, it was really incredible. He was the main character in the book that, What I learned from working with the Black Hawk Down scenario was that plans don't work. You know, you need them. You got to have one. But when you go to execute, you have to assume it's not going to work. And so the companies and the military operations that win are the ones that can adapt and, and course correct rapidly. And so when we apply that into executive teams, it helps them then really deal with shifts in economics, with competitive moves, with changing customer buying patterns. I mean, all those things that tend to get in the way when you try to execute a perfect plan. There's constant adaptation. So when we do a strategy session, as you an example, so maybe go away for a couple of days and have this great plan. But but after that, it's like, look, we want to come back every four to six months, not to see what you're doing right, but to see where you're off course, because how you are being in in that off course moment will determine your success. Like I have this new book coming out, which uh, I'm not sure what the title is going to end up being, but it's really around... How to win by losing powerfully. We teach a lot about winning, inspiring winning. And I'm like, no, when I go to when I go look at entrepreneurs, they're at a long, a long history of failures. And we don't teach how to fail. We don't teach how to lose. We don't teach the learning moments. When you're in the middle of the suffering and the pain and the despair, that's the moment. You know, we don't want to don't run to your, you know, and motivational posters and your, you know, rah-rah, railway. Rah, 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 rah. No, no, be there because that's what entrepreneurs go through and it's in those moments they become great. So we're writing a book on losing.
0: <laughs> well, looking forward to seeing that when that comes out and I think that any entrepreneur that hears that understands that message because they've lived it and they've figured out how to embrace what are viewed as losses is really just a learning moment and then adjusting based off of what they've learned and not standing still. But I think most people don't get that. They don't understand. I think you're right on there. Well, Don, this is a great time for us just to make a transition in the show where we ask every guest the same four questions before they go. And Mm -hmm. the first question we ask is similar to what we were just talking about, about kind of this loss or losing. And we ask, have you had a miss or two along your journey and career and something you learned from it?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, geez, what time is it? I make about a dozen mistakes a day. I mean, when I go back when I was younger and I was starting getting involved in technology, I was really into getting into biotech, like I wanted to, you know, work in a hospital and and it, it, the doors closed. It was a total miss for me. But what I ended up being is like, fast forward three or four years later, you know, I'm at MIT automating the Harvard MIT Biomedical Laboratory, you know, so I'm into, I never would have been there had I had a career that I thought I wanted, when in a sense, I there was much more bigger things to happen that I wasn't aware of. And and COVID, I think, has been a miss for a lot of us. I mean, you know, that has caused us to re-question, you know, careers, business processes and what we're doing. And for me, it, it forced me into video editing because I'm, you know, I ended up like right now, we're renovating this property, but there's a cigar room downstairs. I ended up having all this gear and I learned how to do scripting, filming, lighting, video editing, and and I put together like becoming samurai because we were saying, well, this death thing, how can how can I apply that in my career or my business? And so it was cool. It allowed me to teach because that's I'm 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 just a teacher. And I but it, it was a great format for me to learn how to teach using video online to distribute. So that's you know that's an example, another example.
0: Oh phenomenal. I will definitely relate to that in the thick of COVID being forced into figure out podcasting and editing and doing all of that. like, okay, here we go. Well, let's talk about a make or two. There have been some highlights shared with some of your books and some of your research. I'd love for you to share any others you'd like to highlight.
1: Most of my makes were from education, just uh, learning and hanging out with, with brilliant people that I'm really privileged to have access to. It allowed me... You know, every time I fail, which I do too often, allows me a place to get support or knowledge from really smart people. And so that's where I mean, the whole entrepreneur book came out. I'm familiar with Simon Sinek and the start with why thing. But his sure. coach is Mark Levy and Mark Levy's my coach. So Mark took me through the same thing he was he was taking Simon through. And I kind of this is where the whole issue of losing came up. He's like winning and losing. People talk about winning. They don't talk about what's the losing thing. And that's and because he looked at all my research, interviewed a lot of my clients. And so that was a make, you know, that, and it was all just, I think, failing and
0: learning. Makes sense. Well, let's talk about a multiplier you've used. We get a really just broad range of responses from this question. Is there a multiplier you've used personally, professionally that have helped you grow and individually or organizations you've been a part of?
1: I don't do the standard multiplier stuff very well. I'm really, very incompetent when I, I hear some people with these magnifiers that, and I could probably learn a lot more about that. I, mostly, as as a as a teacher and and, and having taught tens of thousands of CEOs and hundreds of industries, I I think the multiplier for me was you, you, your research has to be fresh and unique and different. In other words, you have to be able to call out the myth, the myths, you know, bust the myths show why, and then offer something different and that's validated and provable and evidence-based. I think that's been my best multiplier that I've been able, able to use when I work with companies or or teams or speed in my speeches is to, yeah, to have good evidence-based research. Forget about the trendy stuff that's, you know, unproven, you know, get real and hang out with real CEOs that are doing real work and like that.
0: Well the final question that we ask every guest, Don is what does success mean to you?
1: Freedom is success. But that for me, it's freedom to continue educating myself, to uh, work with really smart people that just I'm really privileged to be able to hang around. like like Cy Wakeman, she's read some great books on reality-based leadership, I love spending time with her. I ran into George Stock, who started the manufacturing, lean manufacturing revolution 20 years ago. He just, his latest Harvard Business Review articles on the OODA loop, on jet fighter thinking and how to apply that to strategy. So I just really have a blessed life where I just have these brilliant people that want to hang out with me and just learn from them and work with them and uh, explore the future. But to me, it's safe it's freedom to do that and try to stay detached from those things that could stop me, which is a constant <laughs> battle.
0: <laughs> well, this has been a fantastic interview, Don. And before we go, is there anything you were hoping to share or get across that you haven't had to yet?
1: No, I think you, you've done a good job, I think, exploring all the various dimensions here. I can't wait for the new book to come out and see what's going to be happening with that and hopefully inspire some entrepreneurs in a new and fresh way because we've got all the stuff in there that we've been talking about. So it should be fun.
0: Don, thank you so much for a fantastic interview. And let's go ahead and jump into today's three key takeaways. So takeaway number one is to talk about and discuss how Don republished the leadership from the ancient samurai. And he said that he republished the manuscript that he found that contained the 47 principles in his book, which is excellent, by the way. You should check it out. We'll have the link in the show notes here. And I found it interesting how he, talked about that death was a focus and that was focused on detaching from those things that hold us back. And he said, you learn about focusing on bravery and honor. Takeaway number two is how he shared that entrepreneurs oftentimes get frustrated because the people around them are not brave or willing to take a risk. I think that ties back to our first takeaway where oftentimes as an entrepreneur or leader, You have to learn to let go or let those things die off that maybe are holding you back so that you're willing to take that risk or be brave. Takeaway number three is when he shared in his multiplier that when you're conducting research or developing something, it has to be fresh, unique, and different. And he said what he's done and what he has found to be critical is that you need to bust the myths that so many people believe to be true. Bust those myths, show them why the myths don't work, and then give them something different to implement that is provable and evidence-based. That's a great takeaway that maybe you can look at applying to your own product or services that you're offering or new ones that you're developing or your marketing efforts or other avenues in your business. And now it's time for today's win-win. So today's win-win comes from the main principle that Don shared from his book about the ancient samurai, where you look at death as something of an opportunity. And to me, when I was thinking about this in preparation for recording the takeaways here, it reminded me of pruning and how gardeners and people know that gardening, you need to prune The trees or prune the plants. You need to prune those certain parts of it in order for the whole plant itself to remain strong and to grow and to thrive. And I think that's maybe where the ancient samurai were going with this in growing yourself. And so I think that's the takeaway. If you can continue to prune away those things in your personal or professional life that are maybe holding you back or not allowing you to make those decisions or to grow your company or yourself, I think that's a great takeaway. It's gonna be a win for you. It's gonna be a win for your organization and those people that are closest to you as well and the relationships you have. And so that's the episode today, folks. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. And remember, if you or anyone you know might be ready to franchise their business or take their franchise company to the next level, please connect with us at bigskyfranchiseteam.com Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back next week.